Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mental Toughness and Body Show. My name is Rob Evans, and I'm your weight loss coach, health strategist, and internationally published author, helping take your life and your business, your health, fitness, mindset, and body from where you are right now to where it is that you want to be. And I'm really honored today because I've got a really fantastic guest with me. Kevin Bees is his name. Kevin is a business coach and strategist. He's got his own podcast called Life Changing Questions. He spent 20 years as an international business executive. He's worked for companies like Qantas, Airbus, Intel, just to name a few, um, responsible for billions of dollars over large corporations and publicly listed company, uh, companies. Uh, he's worked around the world, places like Australia, New Zealand, uh, through Asia, the Middle East, uh, Switzerland, uh, Sweden, Denmark, the UK. He's really recognised for his experts, expertise as understanding human psychology. And this is why Tony Robbins has trusted Kevin for many years to be one of his coaches to his top clients through one of his flagship programs called Date With Destiny. He's also coached a US Admiral, presidential advisors, New York uh, Times best-selling authors and highly successful entrepreneurs. What I love about what Kevin does is he, he realizes that the bottleneck to growth of in business is the psychology of the business owner. And he knows that on some level, all business problems are also actually personal problems in disguise. I love that. Kevin, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you for such a wonderful introduction. I really appreciate it. And great to be here. Fantastic. Now, I just wanted to put this into context. So we know each other because we were just trying to reflect on the times about five years ago, four or five years ago, uh, you actually used to be one of my coaches through um, you know, one of Tony's programs. And uh, I think at the time you were, oh, were you here? And then you went to the UK? I can't remember. I've moved around a little bit. I think we, uh, we finished working together because I'd, I'd left Tony's organisation to go and start presenting um, throughout Europe and Asia. And so I moved from Australia. We spent a bit of time living in the Netherlands, a bit of time living in the, new, in the UK. And then as COVID hit a year ago, we, uh, we made our way home back to Australia. Now we live in the, uh, the beautiful place of Port Stephens in New South Wales, which is, is an incredible place. Yeah, I'm very envious. And at the time of recording this, Sydney, part of my New South Wales and Melbourne are going through horrendous uh, COVID lockdowns again. But you're in, in regional part of New South Wales and um, not as impacted because you're in regional. I was just wondering over your time in the UK, uh, time here, what have you learned about yourself through these lockdowns? Hey, it's really great. I, I think in any situation, and this is something felt by nearly everyone in the world, what's wrong is always available and so is what's right. We can look at all the challenging things that are happening here, you know, how you know uh, the COVID is, you know, from my clients making their businesses close or I'm losing revenue or, you know, I'm not being allowed out of my house. We can look at all of the challenging things that are happening um, or we can choose to look and see well, what's positive about this. I can see a million things that are great about this, you know, as well. I yeah. get to, my daughters get to do their dance lessons at home now, now, which means I get to see them. Ordinarily, I'd be on these coaching calls, you know, working with my clients and I wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily see them, but now they're here and they're doing it. So I get more time with them. Um, you know, even though we're in lockdown, uh, being in Australia, lockdown is, is reasonably good. I get to go and do my hour of exercise per day, but that hour of exercise can be along the beach. Now, yes. I think, you know, when I think back to, you know, uh, lockdown when we were in the UK a year ago, I didn't have that option. We were living, you know, in inner city, nowhere near the beach. So I think in every situation, we can look and see all the challenges or the bad things, or we can look and see, you know, what's great about this. And 
I think if we look hard enough there, there are some great things coming out of the, the whole situation. Absolutely. I think, I mean, it seems so long ago, who would have thought 12 months down the track, we're going through another, you know, serious lockdown here in Australia and the rest of the world can't really relate to it because it's like, what, you got like half a dozen cases and you've locked the whole state, what's going on? One of the first things I think I realised in the, the last lot of lockdowns was uh, with homeschooling, my two, I got two teenage uh, girls and when they go to school, you're not really engaged with what goes on from day to day. And of course, they're sitting right next to me on my desk asking me questions. Dad, what about this? What about that? And then you quickly realise that how much smarter your kids are than you because you don't recall <laughs> that information. It gets you thinking. Uh, but I found that really cool to be able to understand what they're doing and the pressures the kids go through because we only ever think about what we're going through and not what they're going through. So um, I thought that was really cool. And just getting to spend more time with them, I think, was uh, was really lovely. Yeah, 100%. I think that's just such a, a great way for you to connect more with them, bond more, and, and understand more about their world and what's going on for them. I think that's fantastic. So, Kevin, you have coached some amazing people. And I was, look, I'm obsessed with understanding success and successful people and the traits and so forth. Out of the people that you've you've coached that have been, you know, the most successful, what are some of the things that you've observed? What, what have you learned? Yeah, really great question. And as you shared in the bio, I've been fortunate enough to coach some amazing people and through the Life Changing Questions podcast, I've been fortunate enough to interview some amazing people. And I've learned a lot of things. And um, I don't. I was a little bit reluctant to kind of talk on this topic of extraordinary. You asked me to describe what was extraordinary. Yeah, taking extra. I'm like, oh, do I know about that? But actually, the more I was thinking about the people I've worked with, the more there's some things that I can pull out and share with you. So um, these are going to fall out my head in maybe a random different ways and it's going to be relevant for different people in different ways. So um, right. first thing, let's, let's talk about success because I think success needs to be defined for yourself. Everyone's version of success is different. Yeah. You know, 10 years ago, my version of success would have been becoming a senior leader in a corporate organization. And actually now that, that isn't my definition of success. That doesn't fit my values. For me to go and do that, I wouldn't be able to you know, have the experience we saw about before, which is being at home with my girls, having the flexibility to do those things, yes. serving the clients in the way it was. So our definition of success can change over the years and we need to be flexible with that. So I think success is, is really living in alignment with your values and what's important to you. So if you haven't really stopped to decide, well, what is important to you? What are your values? then you're probably not going to create a life or live a life that is successful. So your success is different to my success, different to everyone else's success. One definition I've heard along that topic of success that I really like is by a guy called Earl Nightingale. And in, uh, in his book or his audio, The Strangest Secret, he says success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal, a progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Now, what I love about that is success isn't a point that you get to. It's not there. static. Yeah. It's, it's not it's something that you can keep you know providing you're doing something every day to move you closer to that vision or that thing that you want your success that's success and so i really love that definition um when i can, think I, can I just ask you on, on that point um so i think that is is so brilliant i love what you've said there because uh, when i'm coaching people i see that they have no definition of what success is so it's like you know, out in the ocean without a rudder, you're just going around hoping to land in at a port or somewhere, somewhere, you're not going to, you're not going to land there. So um, in defining what that success is, I'm assuming that these successful people that you've worked with over many different fields, like a US Admiral is going to have a different definition to a presidential person, New York, New York um, 
Times bestseller. But I'm assuming all of these people have been very clear on what success means to them. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I think they all go through four phases around that. I mean, number one is they have to dream it. They have to have this vision, like, wouldn't it be amazing Mm. if any study I've done of anyone who's had any kind of success in life, they go out to the end, they see what they want, and then they work backwards. Reverse engineer it, yeah. And so you've got to have this dream. And I I love um, telling this, you know, this, these four things through an example, you know, of running. So I had this vision one day, oh, I wonder if it's possible to run the whole of the Great Wall of China. And I Googled it and I searched it and realized that was a little bit crazy because it was like the equivalent of 125 marathons and the wall was broken in places. And and anyway, but from that, that kind of Google search of dream, I did get the vision that you can run a marathon on the Great Wall of China. So that was in my dream, like, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I could do that? Yes. I didn't have the capability at the time. I thought, wouldn't that be amazing to do that? Then I noticed that like that was step one. You get that dream, you get that vision. Wouldn't it be amazing if? Step two is you've got to be able to see it. You've got to have some visualization or some sensorization, some, some feeling or vision of what it would be like to have that. And there's a million ways we can do that with the technology we have now. We can go and check out pictures and see videos online. Um, you know, you can record, you know, videos or you, know, you can see, you can get a clear vision of what it's like. And then the third thing, so once you dream it and you see it, the third thing that people do is typically they say it, they start verbalizing this thing. So can you imagine what happens when I get this idea that I want to run a marathon on the Great Wall of China? And then I start saying to people, I'm a marathon runner. Before I run a marathon, I am a marathon runner. I'm a marathon runner. Something magical happens. Something changes when you verbally say that out loud. Can you imagine the second I say to people, I'm a marathon runner, what are they going to, what's going to happen? Like all of a sudden I'm committed. I want to stay in accordance with what I've just told people. Um, I'm not going to want to back out of this event now. I put a date in the diary. I'm going to go and do it. And now as soon as you verbalize it and put it out there to the world, amazing things happen. People start sharing with you. Hey, have you seen this book on this? Or have you seen this diet plan? Or did you see this video series on that? And all of a sudden, once you start verbalizing and telling other people about it, magical things start showing up because you're letting the world know that happens. So these people, they dream it, they see it, they say it. And of course, the, the fourth thing is, they need to be it. They need to show up and take action. I can't just go around and say, hey, I'm a marathon runner and then never put my running shoes on and go out the door and you know pound the pavement. I, I have to act in accordance with those things I say. So everything that we manifest, everything that we create goes through those four phases, no matter you know whether you're the Admiral of the US Navy or whether you know, you're you or I. I. We all go through those four steps. So we've got to get a clear vision of what we want first. Great points. Where I see people struggle is finding that vision to start with. You know, like, what do I want? Well, what do you want to achieve? And most people just seem to go through uh, life from, oh, gosh, it's Wednesday today, recording this. I just need to get through to the weekend. I can recover over the weekend. And then it's back to a job that I really don't like uh, at the start of the week. And so they fail to really progress their life because, well, one, they haven't defined what success is, but then they, they don't have a, a hunger to, to find this vision. And when I, I see successful people, they all have that. They're hungry. They want to keep growing. I'm wondering on what tips you would have for people to be able to go from this ordinary place and say, well, in order for you to be extraordinary, you've got to have this big vision. You've never run a marathon before. Oh, let's think about running a marathon on the Great Wall of China. If that wasn't hard enough just to run a marathon, how do we get the cogs turning in people's heads to think bigger? There's many ways. I mean, the first thing I alluded to was getting connected with our values, right? I think we've yes. got to be connected with our values. 
Um, having that successful corporate career was great, but it wasn't in alignment with my values. Mm. And so it didn't really, I didn't really have the drive. I didn't want to go and create another budget or do another, you know, audit cycle or, you know, it, it, the drive wasn't there anymore. But when I got some experience, I started trying some new things and I got this experience like, hey, well, there's this thing over here where I can help other people. I can make a difference to them. Right. I, I, I think through the corporate stuff, I, I went and did some study to learn how do I uh, manage my mindset? How do I help lead my team? And then that opened up the possibility for me that, hey, I can help other people. Wouldn't it be amazing if I could do this? And I had no, again, I had no idea how I would transition from being in corporate to having a life, you know, where I get to serve other people on a daily basis. Um, but I had that vision, hey, wouldn't it be cool if? And then to see it, like that, so I had that dream. Then once I started to see it, I could see other people doing that. You can, if you can go see other people doing the thing that you want, that you like, that's that's a really great clue that is going to be possible for you. Right? So I think that's it. So one you can start trying things and experimenting things. Another way, if people are really stuck on this, I, I like to think about the whole idea of a rocking chair, um, you know, the rocking chair test. So imagine you go out to the end of your life mm. and you're sat in your rocking chair and you can look back over your whole life. And I'd like you to write down there, what, what were you most happy to have accomplished or created? Like if I could wave a magic wand and over your life, you could have created or had any experience or done anything, what are you most proud of? Or... Some people are some people are motivated to what they would be proud of. Some are motivated by what you know, what they can get away from. And so, if it doesn't juice you to think at the end of your life, hey, what am I most proud to have accomplished in the past? Maybe ask yourself, what would I regret having not done? Yes. So those two questions could be a great way. So, uh, what what would I most be excited to accomplish in my life, or what would I regret if I never did it? And that could be a good place. Like follow that. Follow your um your intuition, your, your own internal feeling on that, as opposed to what everyone else kind of says or thinks they should do. One of the things that I found helped me was also thinking beyond myself. And so coming from a chartered accounting background, I was smiling when you were talking about I didn't have any, um, you know, drive to go and do another budget. I mean, ugh, some of the, the jobs that I did as a chartered uh, accountant, I was like, they bore the crap out, out of you. Um, so I get that. Um, so I started to think about, okay, how can I have a bigger impact than just myself? If I, if I step outside myself, like the rocking chair test and say, how can I contribute to others? Because if I can help others, then that's going to help me get what I want. Love it. Love it. I, I, I think there's a, a theory around this that works super well. And I learned this from a, a guy called Marshall Thurber, and he talks about the idea of procession. And he says, think about a bumblebee. He said, the bumblebee is flying along and its job, it believes, is to go and collect nectar you know, to make honey for the family. That's, that's all it's doing, collecting nectar, making the family honey. So, but what the bee doesn't know is that at a right angle to that, you know, every time it goes from flower to flower, it takes pollen with it. And it moves pollen from one flower to another flower and it cross-pollinates all these flowers and this food. So as a result of the bee being driven by its purpose, it's then creating something that makes an amazing difference for the rest of the world. And one of the ways, I guess, that we can think about it, you talk about from service, we can either go after this thing, this money, because, you know, there's an, that extrinsic motivation. We're going to go and get money and, you know, just going to do that thing and you know, keep doing our corporate job because it gives us money. Or we can go after this thing, this intrinsic motivation, this thing where we're going to go and serve and make a difference. And in the process of serving and making a difference, that right angle, that kind of thing, then the money will flow and the money will come. Yes. And I think the difference between the two is like that, extrinsic motivation i've seen with clients again and again if they're driven to just go and get the money or 
get the next level or the next stage or the next car or the next thing. It, it kind of never ends. It's, there's a, never a happiness there because once I get yeah. this thing, I want the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Yeah. If it's like you said, from the other point of view, from an int- intrinsic thing, you're doing this thing because you're passionate about it and you love it. Well, you're motivated. You're going to keep going and you're going to, you're going to want to keep doing that and you want to keep improving and want to serve more people. So that's the other thing. Like, are you, are you doing the thing you're doing right now because you feel as though you should and it's a way to get the money or are you going to go and do the thing because actually it, it lights you up and it helps, you know, helps you and it helps others. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliantly said. Uh, I'm wondering in all of this, what you think the role of discomfort plays, you know, that, that saying being comfortable, being uncomfortable. And in the, those four points that you just mentioned, I mean, it does, uh, it does require courage. Um, I know for myself, if I reflect and say, well, I didn't get to where I am now as quickly as I wanted because of these are the steps that I didn't take. And yet I didn't make myself comfortable because, oh, sorry, I made myself comfortable being comfortable as opposed to comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think this is a big problem. I mean, we're trained from kids. As soon as you feel discomfort, let's make it better. Mm. And so I'm just wondering with the, the coaching that you've done, how much of that plays a role in success? Yes, um, massively. We as human beings, beings have two things that drive us, only, only two things. And one is to get away from pain and the other is to go towards pleasure. Now, for most people, we can be wired up to, you know, to, to be out of pain more often. Um, mm. And I think one of the examples that has been used in the past, like if, if you could stop me from stealing $10,000 of your hard-earned money from your bank account, or you could go out and just generate, generate 10,000 yourself, what would you be more motivated to do? Mm. Now, a lot of people, when I ask this, they're more motivated to stop me from stealing the thing that they already have than they are to go and get the new thing. Now, it doesn't happen, particularly when I, I ask this of entrepreneurial audiences. Entrepreneurial audiences can be more towards like the pleasure. So there is this combination, this drive. And I, I like to think of it like, um, like a thermometer. So you can imagine like what temperature, what temperature do you like the room to be, Rob? Me? Oh, golly, I guess it's probably around 21 degrees or something like that, if I judge it by the, the temperature on yeah. when I walk down the hallway. Yeah. So if we set the air conditioning unit in your house to be at 21 degrees, okay, when it gets to 22, 23, what happens? The air conditioning unit kicks in and it kicks in some coolness and it drops back down to 21. Maybe it goes a little bit further than that. It drops down to 20 to 19. So at that point, it maybe cuts out and lets the temperature come back up to 21. It's continually going up and down to mm. that point up and down to that set point because you set it at 21 i think the same is true for us with uh, all the other things in our life you, you help people with their health well you'll probably notice that there's some people who have a set point with what their weight is and you may get them to you know lose the weight get to more more towards where they'd like to be but then they come back up or they go up and they yo you around it or financially uh, i see this with clients where whereby they have a set amount that they are comfortable earning. If they earn more than that, it feels bad to them because then what does that mean around their family and their belonging? If they keep earning more, how is that going to reflect it? Or they earn a little bit less than they used to and then they get super motivated to go and take the actions to get it there. So I think this combination of um, discomfort or pain and pleasure, we're, we're going backwards and forwards between the both. There's a certain amount that we can handle on both. And we probably need to have the awareness around if I do have a set point around this, if I have a set point on my income, what I'm happy to earn, or if I have a set point around my weight, well, what is it? 
And then what can we do to shift that and change that? And some of the things we do to shift it and change it, of course, is seeking out experts like yourself who have the techniques around this. But the other thing is programming the psychology, the mindset, because once you realize and it comes into your awareness that you're stuck at that set point, you can sh- you can identify your beliefs. What are my beliefs that are keeping me there? How can I shift and change those beliefs to kind of open up that? And then maybe you want to be comfortable with 23, 24, 25 degrees. And then you can do that by changing your beliefs and taking new action. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Love that. Um, the the last point you said about action. Mm. Yeah, making sure that we we take consistent action. This is an area where I think people can also stumble because uh, there's about saying, okay, Kevin, go out and do this today and that will help you. But it's about, okay, you need to do it every day or multiple times a day and, and, doing, and doing that. How do we condition people to the, um, the new habits of taking action, which is not just getting out of bed every day. Well, for some people it might be, we start off small, but that bigger action that you know is going to be, okay, I've got to be uncomfortable today. I've got to do these things that I don't normally do. I've got to do this. How do we help coach people to get into that zone more freely? Okay. And I think I come, there's many, many answers to this, but let me pull this back to the extrinsic and the intrinsic. Because when you say I've got to do this, this kind of feels like an extrinsic motivator. Like I've, I've got to do this. It doesn't mm-hmm. really feel, that feels like um, as though I've, I've got to study for my, you know, my school yeah. exams yeah. to get my grades, as opposed to I can study this because I'm fascinated by the topic. Right, intrinsic or um you know i have to have a business that pays well you know that earns me money as opposed to you know i, I want to do this business because it's fulfilling so i think the languaging can become a very important piece there mm. now it's i, I want to i've got so many areas i want to go to with this i wonder which one's best for us there's a great book by stephen kotler and it's called the rise of superman okay and and he talks about this this very point because the, the theory or the, the knowledge or the body of work up until now has kind of said that look, there's really three things that help us kind of go and accomplish and achieve and do things and have success. And he calls it mothers, marshmallows and music. Now, by mothers, he's kind of saying that, well, the, the evidence kind of shows success really comes down to your environment. If you've got a nurturing yeah. environment and nurturing family and, you know, and people to help you and support you, that's going to help you have success. And then he says about um, you know, marshmallows. So marshmallows, you may remember there was a, a study done by Zimbardo, Zimbardo where he gave, um, I think it was three or four-year-olds, a marshmallow. And he said, if you can wait whilst I go out of the room, get two. come back, you get two. And what they found is that those who didn't wait and ate the marshmallow typically weren't going to succeed as well as those who did wait and then got the second marshmallow. Right? That delayed gratification. And then the third thing was music. They were kind of saying that, hey, well, if you... If you put 10,000 hours into learning the instrument, you're going to become very good at learning the instrument. And the harder you work, like the better you're going to become. So he was saying that typically these three things, the mothers, the marshmallows, the music, that's what's going to help people kind of take that action and do better. You've got a supportive environment, you know, delayed gratification, you know, and you, you put in the hard work and the hours. But what they discovered was that it doesn't necessarily come from that. Um, with, he was studying, you know, adventure athletes, like people who are doing um, base jumping, snowboarding, you know, skating, you know, um, you know, yeah, yeah, skating. And what he discovered was that th- that sport, those sports were advancing way more rapidly and faster than any, anything else. And he didn't understand why, because typically the people in that sport 
weren't coming from this background of having, you know, like a supportive environment. Some of them were coming from some very broken homes. Mm. They weren't going for delayed gratification. They actually loved what they were doing. They were getting out there day after day. And the thing that they were doing was the reward. The, the you know, yes, the right, surfing, right. the boarding, the base that was a reward. They were not delaying gratification. They were having it now. And what he found is that this combination of this um, intrinsic motivation, doing the thing that they wanted then and there, that helped get them into a flow state. So things become effortless. They were doing it to achieve it. Now, I, I'm kind of laboring that point a little bit because when I hear the language of like, I've got to do this, I've got to push through it, I, it, it feels like it's more of an extrinsic place from intrinsic. Yes. If we can find this place where we're pulled towards something, we want to do it. For me now, okay. if I had to, you know, if I had to you know, get myself up and pull myself together to do a budget and, you know, uh, it's hard. But to get up and have a conversation with you around something like this or go and speak to my clients, you know, I don't have to push myself to do that. So we've got to make sure that this thing, this very first thing, that, that dream it, the thing that you're going to focus on, is something that you feel like you want to do. Now, I appreciate the point you're making. Is it always going to be easy? I know you are uh, very skilled at you know, weightlifting, and I've seen the impressive results that you, you've gotten. Now, you don't get to those results without going through some pain or some discomfort, mm. right, each time. But I think there's um, something called the Yerkes-Dobson law. Uh, I hope I've got that right. It's been a while since I've said that, where we talk about there's a certain level of growth or challenge that helps. If we set a yeah, goal, yeah. if we're here and we set a goal to here and it's like way out of reach, even out of the screen, you can't even see me. It seems too big. We're not motivated because we're never going to get there. Yeah. If it seems too close to us, like uh, too easy, not motivated. Yeah. But their theory is like, if you stretch yourself three or 4% each time, it's, it's far enough away that is accomplishable and you can make those small, steady incremental steps. And over the longer term, that's going to help. Um, and maybe let me, I've been talking for too long now, let me turn it back over to you. You've accomplished that and you, you achieve amazing feats, feats with your body. You, know, you can lift weights that other people can. How do you do that? Do you, do you feel as... Yeah, well, just as you were saying, and just as you were saying that, I guess it's, it's kind of twofold in terms of the extrinsic and intrinsic. The, but the biggest driver is the visualisation of I have with the end result and then reverse engineer that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't achieve what I want to achieve for my body unless I'm in pain. And that sounds weird, but I have to physically hurt myself every single time I step into the gym. I don't mean in a bad way, but just that lactic acid and push yourself. And like this plays such a, a huge part. But every single time when I know that, so my hardest workout is my legs, okay? Because it burns like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. And if I'm about to do a 260 kilo leg press, and I'm tired and I know how much this is going to hurt because the set before it hurt like hell, then I'm not going to do it. But what I do in those moments, even when I get to say the last, because there's always, you know, you've got to do a few reps to get to that point when, okay, now it's really hurting, but I've got to push through. It's easy to stop. I visualize myself and sometimes it might be on stage. You know, I visualize myself on stage just in my, my budgie smugglers and all tanned up and 5,000 people, uh, you know, screaming, you know, I'll visualise the music, I'll hear it like ACDC's Thunderstruck, arms in the air, you know, holding a check, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that gets me through those last couple. It still hurts, yeah. but I'm always thinking every time I step into the gym, before I step in there, what am I going to achieve today? But like you said, I, if, if it was too big, if I said to myself, because I'm a natural athlete, so if I said, 
I'm, I'm going to put on 10 kilos of muscle this year based on the years of training that I've been doing. Um, that would be too big, unachievable unless I took um, steroids and you know growth hormones and stuff. It's just not achievable. And I know that, so that's not going to motivate me. But if I said two kilos, which might sound really low, but it's still really challenging when you're a natural athlete, that is more achievable. Yeah, love it. And you kind of really hit the nail on the head with your example there, because you've got a clear vision of what you want to accomplish. You've broken it down to some bite-sized pieces and you made it easy to start. Now, even when it's challenging, even when it's tough, your vision or the goal you have is bigger than going through that pain, that temporary yes, pain. that's right. You've heard that quote before, um, you know, the obstacles are what you see when you take your eyes off of the goals, off of the goal. So you're focusing on your goal. You're focusing on being on stage. Now, what I love about your example I kind of said, you've got to dream it and you've got to see it, but you've gone a step further, which is even more important. You've sensorized it. You yep. got the vision of you on the stage. You can feel yep. what's going on. You can hear the music. The sounds, you yeah. All your, sense, all your senses. And that can really help. So people sometimes don't get emotionally connected enough to that vision, like really stepping into it and feeling what it would be like to have that experience of having that job or taking that trip or being with that partner and really feeling that in your body. That yes. could be the thing that gets you emotionally connected with it to, to want to take that action. Now, you made a really valid, really valid point on there about how you do that. The other piece, of course, some people have the challenge of like procrastinating or not getting yeah. started on something. And there's this great thing that I read in a book called The Happiness Advantage by Sean Accor. And he talks about the idea of um, activation energy. Right. So using the example of going to the gym, he wanted to go to the gym. He kind of thought it would be a good thing to do to get into shape. But he'd wake up in the morning and then snooze the alarm. Right. And then he snooze the alarm and it was bugging him. So what he realized is he, meet, he needed to make it easy to get started, easy to activate. So one of the things that was stopping him was not having his gym gear ready, not having yeah. the gym clothes close. So what he did is the night before he put his bag by his bed, he put he, he slept in his gym clothes. He put his shoes on the floor. So when the alarm went off, he could swing his feet around, put his feet in the shoes. And within 20 seconds, he's at the front door, ready to go out. And then when his brain kicks in, oh, I want to go back to bed, he's already in motion. He's already activated. Yes. So we've got to think about this. Is there anything that you really want to do, but you haven't, you're not getting started on? If so, how can yeah. we make it easy to activate? Um, the other side of that, of course, is there are some things that we end up doing that we don't want to do anymore which sabotage, you know, sabotage us from doing the things that we want. So he talks about it, you know, the other way around, like how can we deactivate things? So the other example he uses, he would come home from, you know, from, uh, he, was, he was a professor or um, a lecturer at Harvard University. He would come home and he would want to read his papers, but instead what would happen is it was very easy to activate. He had his remote controls there. He'd pick up the remote controls, turn on the TV, and then, you know, the night's gone. He's watching TV. So what he realized is he needs to make it very difficult to get started. So he would take his batteries out of his remote control, put them in, in you know, the drawer in the other room. And so when he'd come home that night, he'd sit down, he'd press the controllers. Oh, it wouldn't work. Oh, the, the batteries are all the way over there. I've got to go get them too hard. And then you start reading his papers. Right. So the question I have for you is how can you make it easy to get started on the things that you want? How can you get it set up so you can activate easily? You know, and how do you make it harder to do those things that are, are kind of maybe sabotaging you and holding you back? I, th I think that's so brilliant and powerful. And I think, you know, people can listen to me and say, oh, wow, I wish I had your, you know, your drive and all that kind of stuff. But I'm just as human as anyone else. And just like you said there, what I do the night before is I've got my gym stuff there. 
It's, a, it's already there. I have my supplements out in the morning. Like I have to, like it's a bit of a routine that I have to go through before I do my workout and stuff. If I haven't got it ready and I feel slightly tired and slightly not into it, I'm like, oh, you know, I won't do that. But I know the formula for success for me in that space, in getting in the gym. And as I'm, you know, drinking my pre-workout and I'm getting my head in the right space, I'm looking at my last workout and saying, okay, I've got to lift more than I did last time. This is my target for this way today. Um, but yeah, it's just, just as easy to not do it. I like the one you said about the reading, because again, uh, I should read more. And there are times when I'm really in the zone, but other times where the book is there, but it's like, oh man, I'm so tired. So what does that tell you? I'm reading at the wrong time of the day. I need to bring it at the start of the day when I'm more, you know, more, um, more alert and less likely to fall asleep and really like, okay, this is my growth cycle right now. So um, really, really powerful points there. I've got three more areas where I wanted to touch on, um, particularly with, I want to use the example perhaps of the, um, the Admiral that you said. And in terms of, oh, actually, maybe I won't use him. Yeah, because I was going to ask um, with him with networking, but I don't want to get to that yet. Uh, accountability. Yes. Um, so accountability in success. I mean, I've got multiple coaches, um, really important across different areas to make sure that you've got that accountability. Um, when it comes to, um, and the US Admiral is not a good one in that point. So we'll come back to him uh, because he's accountable to a whole bunch of people <laughs> if he messes up like the president or whatever. <laughs> but tell me the, the role that you believe effective accountability plays in success uh i i i love it and i hate it and, and there's two reasons let's think back to those adventure sports athletes that we're thinking about before mm -hmm. accountable do you think they need to be to go out going out and surfing every day do you out surfing yes yeah, probably not too too much that's depends. right i i guess it depends on whether they're like if we had surfing in the olympics just recently and maybe there's a difference between going out and just playing on the board versus you've got to do these drills or something. I, I don't know enough about the yeah. sport, but. Yeah, maybe. And, and so I think if you're internally juiced and internally wired by something, you, you're going to want to go and do it anyway, right? You're going to want to take action. You don't necessarily need that external person to keep you accountable. Now, on the other, side, other hand, I, I think accountability can be useful. And I say this from a coaching perspective is I think it helps. Like if, if we have a conversation now and you make a commitment that you're going to do something, well, you're going to damn well do your best to get that done before you come to the next call. So I do see my clients can often be highly productive the day or two before they have a meeting with me because <laughs> they're committed to that. And they don't, they don't want to act. Um, they, they don't want to act uh, inconsistently with what they said. They said they were going to do that. So they don't want to come along and not, and not having done that. So there is some value in that. But I think it's limited. For me, the accountability piece is more important. And I say to my clients, look, your commitment is that you're going to do it, but your, your accountability is to yourself. Like if you yep. don't do it, it, it doesn't impact me, it impacts you, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's for yourself. Now, if a client makes a commitment and shows up and it hasn't done it, like how, how accountable can I, can I keep them anyway? I can say, hey, you know, naughty boy, you didn't do that. Naughty girl, you didn't do that. Oh, try again, right? Or, hey, I know where you live and I've got a baseball bat and I'm going to come and, you know, sort of But more importantly to me, I think it's the fact that they set that target. If they haven't got it done, haven't got it accomplished, 
then we have a great conversation to understand more why, what prevented you. So I think setting a goal and you accomplish it, great. If you accomplish it, cool. What, how can we build on that? But if you haven't, more so, what can we learn from that? Why, why didn't, if you set that target, why didn't you do it? What was in your way? What block mm. is in your way? What do we need to remove? What do we need to shift? What do we need to change? So accountability on its own, I have a bit of a mixed feeling for it, but what comes from accountability, that conversation, I did it or I didn't do it, that is more telling because it helps us unpack, well, was there a subconscious block here? Was there some other reason why we need to help you shift or change so that you can get it done next time? Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, that's really, really great points. Let's go to networking now. What, what role do you think that that plays in success? You, you would have heard many times, you know, the whole term network is your net worth. Mm. And I think that can really be true. I've been fortunate enough to speak, um, you know, with people and coach people because of my network. Yeah. And I wouldn't have those experiences without that. Um, my mum, bless her, she was never in business or anything like this, but she used to say, it's not what you know, and it's who you know. And I think yeah. that, can, that can really be true. Mm. It can really be true. Um, you, you spoke about, you know, uh, yeah, actually, I, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what else to add to that. Hey, actually, maybe here's what I want to add to that. There's this theory in terms of networking around the weak ties, right? So in our network, okay. we may have people that we see frequently. Now, they're very useful. We love them. We connect with them all the time. But I think sometimes it's those weak times. Those people are in the distance. They're kind of in our network, but we don't really know them too well. I think that's where networking really becomes valuable because if all of a sudden you, you can introduce me to this person over here, they may have an amazing network which I can really serve and I can really help. Now, yeah. I never would have gotten to them without being connected through you. Yes. So that helps. If I want to go and get connected to the Pope now, if I you know, take myself to Rome and knock on the door or call him, I'm never going to get my way in there. But if, yeah. however, I can see that Rob is, you know, connected with Barack Obama, who's connected, you know, with the Pope, then great. I, there, there may be a way in there. And so things like um, LinkedIn, you know, for us in business, it becomes, becomes super, super valuable, you know, to, to find those networks and those connections. And um, it just, it works so well. If someone, if someone says, hey, um, you know, I know Rob, Rob's a great guy. And he wants to connect to you on this, then the door is going to be open because my trust, you know, the trust that I have with that person transfers. So, yes, networking super, super important. So, how does that? This can come back to the U.S. Admiral, maybe um, situation. Those, you know, like really, um, you know, really unique, high position people. Who are they networking with? How do they go about building a better network? Because I, I suppose, I guess, particularly in that role they're not necessarily going to want to network with the equivalent in China or the equivalent in North Korea <laughs> or, you know, um, that kind of thing. So I'm just I'm wondering what, what you've seen, how they build their networks. I, I, I don't actually, I don't, I'm not close enough to tell you the answers to that because potentially some of them do, some of them go and do study and courses, etc. Let's, let's bring this back to, to the business because some of the business people I work with um, one example is a, he's a senior leader in a large company in the UK well his networking within his organization was really important for a while because he wanted to be known in the organization as the right person but now he's getting to this level where he's had success he's known he's got wealth his next step or his next goal or his next vision would potentially be to leverage you know his skills and run run his own business or you know so 
the people that he really needs to be networking now isn't necessarily the people in that organization. It's external people like the, the funders, the people who have money who would be willing to take their venture capital and invest it in his idea or his concept. So I think it becomes important to think about you know, where do you want to go? Who do you want? What do you want to accomplish? Because then you want to start surrounding yourself with those people. And look, as an example of this, um, I, I wanted to become better at speaking. And of course, then I knew I needed to surround myself with speakers. So there are organizations. I went to the Professional Speakers Association of Australia, right? And I can go there and being surrounded with speakers, it gave me a big understanding you know, of that industry and how it works. And how yes. from the outside, I thought they were just speakers and everyone's speaker. But then you get there and you realize, oh, this person is a keynote speaker and this one is a facilitator and this one is a profit speaker. And they're all slightly different. So as you get in that environment, in that community, you begin to learn a little bit more about, you know, who they are, their jargon, you know, and then from that, you begin to then get connected to, to other people as well through their network and their connections. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I, and I don't know if I'm, I'm really answering your question there, but... I think the key question is who who do you want to be connected with? Like, where do you want to grow? Because that's you need to go, go and hang out with those people. And that comes back to uh, a little bit of what I said before about being uncomfortable. Because sometimes to step into those groups, it means you've got to be a different person. Like me, before going into business, I I'm the the guy that sits in the corner in a party and I'll speak to one or two people, but I don't want to be out there. But I realized that if I wanted to be successful in business, I can't do that anymore. I've got to be out in the middle of the party and talking to as many people as possible. Uh, and look, I'm only where I am now because of some amazing people that I've met and that's led me to that kind of next, next level. Um, so, you know, super, super important and, and really exciting. You just don't know who you're going to meet. You never know who you're going to meet. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that quiet person in the corner who's not speaking to anyone, maybe you need to be one to go over and speak to them because they may have so many amazing opportunities. And I, I have this thing I call the one meter rule. And I think people are going to be around you all the time who can help. Um, I, I was stood in a queue to check in to, I was going to Vietnam at the time. And the lady behind me starts chatting and it turns out she was a finance graduate and she was looking for her next finance job. At the time, I was an executive in a financial organization. And because she's telling us we're having a conversation, she ends up scoring a job with me, right? Just because she was having a conversation, just someone random. I'm in the queue to go to Vietnam and she's going to Vietnam and you know, she gets a job out of it because we had that conversation. Now, those people are around you all the time. So it doesn't just need to be networking events. I think we need to get very skilled at explaining yeah. who we are and what we do. Yep. and who we're looking for and i think i recognize some of the, the best business people can tell you, you know the answers to three questions very quickly like you know who do they work with what is the challenge or the problem that person has and how they help them solve it and i've lost count the number of times i've been to a network meeting and someone talks for five minutes and you go cross-eyed and you still got no idea what they do right so i think if you're going to be good at networking you actually need to get very skilled at explaining who, who specifically who you work with what their problem is and how you help them resolve yeah, yeah, spot on. Well said. Hey, last question. Success and health, health and wellness. Um, I like to say that, you know, you're, the first wealth is health. Um, you're, the role that you see that health plays in uh, success. Uh, I'd like to say success is holistic. Right? No one wants to be the wealthy guy or the wealthy woman and who's sick in a hospital bed. 
right? You yeah. give all your money back, you know, all your business success back in a heartbeat to get your health, right? So it's, it's critical. Um, I've, I want to reflect on myself. Like I've noticed there were periods of time where I've dropped off of running or exercise regularly. I think you become maybe more sluggish. Your brain isn't on, you're not yes. as sharp, you're not as efficient. So I no doubt you can share with all the science behind this, but I guess the more you exercise, the more growth hormone there is, the more endorphins there are, the more energized you feel. So I think there's a definite uh, correlation there. And, and particularly um, in terms of like, not even health, like physical health, but also the food and the diet you eat. Mm-hmm. If you're eating you know, food that's giving you uh, digestive problems or, you know, gut-related problems, that can cause your brain to be foggy as well. So I, I wholeheartedly believe that if we're going to have any success, it needs to be holistic. You you can't just have success like and completely smash it in business and let go of your relationships or let go of your health or let go of, like, your self-care. We, we kind of got, got to get the balance across all of, those, all of those. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think the... Um people tend to think of success in dollar terms i think when you talk about success and people think oh well it's this much money so well, what about other what else is there you said like at the beginning about your values and so forth my highest value is my health and yeah. wellness that's because i know that if that's right well if i'm zero in that area i'm dead so i'm no good to anyone <laughs> so i want to make it a lot better than that so that i can do anything and everything that i want to I want to do and that includes being the best dad that i can be with all the energy and focus because of the health and vitality i've got so perfect you can't do any of those things without vitality no that's right hey kevin just conscious of the time here today you have give, given us so much content here i think even i'm going to have to go back and listen to this a couple of times <laughs> uh, to pull out all this stuff do you know one thing that i've always loved about you is your ability i don't know how you do it but your ability to quote books and the author, remember the author's name and the key points that come out of that book is really impressive. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I think it's been passionate. I guess there's certain, certain things you remember, certain things you don't, some stick in, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate that. Hey, I've really had fun here and I, I know we've only scratched the topic on, you know, scratched the surface on this topic. There's so much more that we could, uh, we could really go into. Um, so I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to download some of my thoughts on this. Yeah, and no, that's been fantastic. Um, I wanted to give you an opportunity to say how people, well, don't if you don't want people to get in touch with you, but if you'd like people to connect with you, I mean, um, I've listened to a couple of episodes of your uh, your podcast series. You've got some great guests on there as well. So if you want to um, give that a bit of a plug and say how people can get in touch with you, if you'd like to. Yeah, thank you so much. Hey, look, if you did want to listen to the Life Changing Questions podcast, you can find that on uh, on all of the major places. Um and what I love about that podcast is I've got to interview some really amazing people mm. who, you know, normally pay, pay tens of thousands of dollars an hour to, to, to get their time and their energy. And yet they're sharing freely, you know, this, this content and amazing stuff. So there's a lot of, a lot of great content. And if you want to listen to that, you can. We've focused a lot on psychology and mindset today because I think that be- becomes the most important thing, particularly for the business owners I work with. But yes. there's a whole strategic piece and strategy piece. So if anyone was interested in, in um, getting a copy of my book, you know, the six success strategies you need to grow any business fast, I happily give you a copy of that. You can just go to my website, which is beesneesbusiness.com. So B is in bumblebee, kneesbusiness.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's been great catching up with you here today. Um, thanks for all the, uh, you know, the, the great information that you've been giving us. So really honored to have you on the show. Hey, my pleasure. Keep up the great work, my friend. Thank you.
See you next time.